Somewhere in space, this may all be happening right now. 20th Century Fox and George Lucas, the man who brought you American graffiti, now bring you an adventure unlike anything on your planet. Star Wars. Here they come. The story of a boy, a girl, and a universe. It's a big, sprawling space saga of rebellion and romance. It's a spectacle, light years ahead of its time. I am C-3PO, human-cyborg relations, and this is my counterpart, R2-D2. Hello. It's an epic of heroes. Good luck. And villains. And aliens from a thousand worlds. This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of... IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. All the galaxies, all for you. It is a period of civil war. Rebel spaceships striking from a hidden base have won their first victory against the evil Galactic Empire. During the battle, Rebel spies managed to steal secret plans to the Empire's ultimate weapon, the Death Star an armored space station with enough power to destroy an entire planet. Pursued by the Empire's sinister agents, Princess Leia races home aboard her starship, custodian of the stolen plans that can save her people and restore freedom to the galaxy. Hello everyone and welcome to another fantastic episode of the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast. And in case you hadn't noticed, we're discussing Star Wars tonight. Not just any Star Wars, the original Star Wars. We have talked about A New Hope on this show before, but the last time we did it was 2015. It's been a while. So it's time to revisit it and just have a lot of fun looking at this movie all over again, maybe from a fresh set of eyes or a new perspective or something that maybe we've picked up over the past four years that we didn't pick up on the last time. And that's pretty much going to be the entire show. It's just a big, full-on discussion of this classic 1977 film, all the ins and outs, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Joining me as he always does, my name is Zach, in case you hadn't noticed or guessed or been able to, you know, tell from the intro music compared to now, uh, it's not like my voice changed all that much since we did the intro music, but 
I'm Zach, and joining me on the show, as he always does, is my good buddy, Ben. How's it going, guys? I am delighted to be discussing Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, or as it was known back in the day, just Star Wars. And it's going to be a lot of fun discussing this film. We're going through all of them. We're counting down to The Rise of Skywalker, and this one was right on the way. And we don't have that many more left, and that means... We don't have many more days left until The Rise of Skywalker, so it's going to be a heck of a lot of excitement. Yeah, part of what we're going to do at the close of the show is give you like a, a countdown to how many days to The Rise of Skywalker. We're getting closer and closer by the day. Uh, ben, you're doing a countdown on social media, and we're doing a countdown over on Star Wars Underworld. Uh, if you want to be able to keep up with that and keep up with the, the quotes that you're doing over there, uh, you're in Revenge of the Sith right now, so like not too far away from A New Hope quotes, unless you're going through Rogue One and Solo first. What are you doing with that? Are you going to go through the standalones, or are you going to like double back to them? I am. I my current plan is to do all of the live action films. I'm not doing Clone Wars right now. Ooh. I'm not doing Rebels. But I'm gonna. I might come back to them. Imagine if you quoted every episode of Star Wars: The Clone Wars in sequence. See, I want to do that, but I'm like, it's gonna take way too Jeez. long. And yeah, it's saying so. I don't know when I'm gonna be done with that. That is that's something I started back for the 40th anniversary of Star Wars. Dang. This film. And now we're now we're 42 years into that thing. And uh, yeah, it's been so. I don't know when I'm gonna be done. But yeah, that's been a lot of fun. And yeah. Uh, uh, Solo will be next, and then Rogue One, and then all the way through originals and the sequels. That's awesome. So if you want to keep up with that, find the Star Wars Underworld on Facebook. If you want to keep up with the Rise of Skywalker news, go to StarWarsUnderworld.com. Uh, if you want to keep up with all of our ramblings and stuff, you can find us at IPC Podcast on social media. Uh, the newest member of the IPC Podcast, he's been with us for the month of August, and hopefully we get to keep him around a little bit longer than that. I know it's a bit of a delayed introduction, but I'm just kind of all over the place. I'm jazzed up on caffeine, so it'll be interesting. Uh, joining us for another rousing episode of IPC, it's Mr. Jake Damon. Hey folks, how's it going? Um, I'm excited about tonight because we get to talk about my favorite movie of all time. And it's just kind of cool thinking about how uh, at the end of this year, uh, episode nine is coming out, The Rise of Skywalker. And... That's going to be the last movie in the Skywalker saga, you know, all nine movies. And it just seems kind of fitting and cool that tonight we're talking about the one that started it all. Absolutely. It's going to be really fun. It's it's going to be really interesting to, to, to see how that story compares to the story from 77, how it's evolved over the last several decades. Uh, we've gotten a, a taste of it, a glimpse of it with these two sequel films, but, you know, rounding out that trilogy, rounding out the story, is going to be really interesting. And what's even more interesting is that we're kind of kickstarting that with this movie. You know what I mean? Like this is this is the beginning of the Sty- of the Skywalker saga. I almost said Skywalker and I was like that's not right. <laughs> I don't even know what that would mean. Like what oh, I never. I know. Seem, it not... seems too close to something bad, I don't know. Yes, I know what you're thinking and <laughs> I've I've always had that problem with like when you've got a problem with your house and you need to like put some sealant in it, there's there's a certain word and I I never pronounce that word correctly, so I don't use that word. <laughs> it's just it's just it's just it's just not safe. It's not a good idea. Um <laughs> 
but it it's just really interesting to to take a look at the the how the adventure began and how many other things have been inspired from it not just sequels in this franchise but um but also how how many other uh tv shows and movies and other franchises were inspired by this. I mean, everything from Spaceballs to Buzz Lightyear of Star Command has been inspired by this movie in one way, shape, or form. And it's just it's just really interesting to think about how this one film that even the director thought was going to flop at the box office turned into one of the biggest pieces of pop culture in our entire generation. Yep. It it's I think it's easy to forget how how iconic this film is. And especially for us who, I don't know about you guys, but I wasn't really around in 1977. Oh, I you know, was. It was, kind of, it was kind of before my time. Oh, you really? Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> oh, I thought you were way older than you. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. Sarcasm and wow. caffeine. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah, gotta love it. But you, we forget how like how big of a deal this film was in 1977, and mm-hmm. then going forward, the impact that it's made. Not just in the fact that it spawned so many sequels and books and comics and TV shows, and is still we're in perpetually for forever. We're gonna have more Star Wars, um, you know, because of this one film, but also just the impact it made on the film industry, on world culture. It's just, you know, everybody knows Star Wars. Even people that haven't seen Star Wars know Star Wars. They know this movie. And it's just fascinating to see. And, and I think it's easy to take this movie for granted because we have so many things, even just in Star Wars, to look forward to. The Rise of Skywalker, The Mandalorian, Jedi Fallen Order, books, comics, everything, just in the next, like, five months. Mm-hmm. This film was where it all began, and, and this film was just by itself. Every time I watch it, I'm like, this movie is amazing. Like, it holds up. Like, it's not like it doesn't yes. feel like a movie from the 70s. It feels like a movie that could have easily been made today. And yeah, the, the effects, maybe some of the effects aren't as well as good, and some of the newer effects added aren't as good either. <laughs> well, we'll get into that. But. Still, it's just it's an astounding feat of just ingenuity and storytelling, and just it, it's an amazing film. And we really do, at least I do, take it for granted. Yeah, I think of uh, A New Hope or Star Wars, as it was called. It's the indie film that changed the world forever, and it's like such a small budget for such a you know such a big thing something that became huge and anytime i watch a new hope i i pick apart every scene and just like appreciate what had to go right in this movie to make it such a success you know it was all by chance they had ideas before that they changed later that became things that we know and love they'd be completely different if they had gone a different way and things got ruined and they could have quit and they kept going and so so much had to go right for this to become the phenomenon it became and it's a fascinating uh thing to think about and pick apart and it's i'm i'm always thankful after i watch star wars a new hope that this movie in particular was made because of what it spawned absolutely oh, well i mean you were you were talking about sequences that 
uh, still stand the test of time, I think it's pretty safe to say that opening sequence is never going to get old for me. No. Like, I, I, I watch the Tanid Four fly in, and then you've got Vader's destroyer coming in just behind it, and I just sit there in awe, thinking, holy moly, what would it have been like to see something like that on the big screen? You know, not not even not even anniversary specials or anything like that. I've never had the opportunity to go see this movie on the big screen. I saw Jurassic Park on the big screen big screen a few years ago. I just can't get my words right tonight. I said "screen" instead of "screen." We, like, bef- normally speaking, we end up late. Tonight we're starting late, yeah. so it's yeah, just, it's just gonna be all kinds of crazy. It's, it's one of those nights already. We're like, what, twelve minutes into the show, ten minutes into the show, and it's like two mishaps already. Great job, Zach. <laughs> but I, I look at this movie and I think, what would it have been like to have seen this on the big screen? What would it have been like to see this on the big screen? And I think the other thing that I'm really missing out on is I usually end up watching this movie with people who have either never seen it before and want me to introduce it to them, or I'm watching it with people who are just very casual observers and they're watching it for my sake rather than because they want to watch it. Yeah. And so I really want to watch this movie with an audience there's some kind of community aspect to Star Wars, and it's it's definitely true about the first movie. It's just also really lacking in my life. I need that. Yeah, it's funny how, and I, I think I've told the story probably more than once before, but um, me, Chris, Dominic, and a bunch of guys were and people were at uh, Star Wars Celebration Anaheim in 2015, which is the last year we talked about this movie um, on this show. But we watched Revenge of the Sith in 3D there, and wow. they were showing all the films as they normally do at Celebration. And we watched that movie in 3D, and then immediately after was A New Hope was going to be starting. And we couldn't stay, but we are like, okay, none of us have seen this film on a screen larger than, you know, I don't know, you know, an 18-inch TV. Like, you know, it's, we've never seen it on a huge screen. So we're going to stay and watch just the opening scene. So we did, and that was amazing, but I can only imagine what it'd be, because like, that scene is amazing all to its own, In just in after everything. We ha- we live in a day and age where people are not easily impressed anymore. Mm-hmm. We're seeing stuff like that That's all the time, true. but you have to see it in context. Even so, I still think it holds up, but like you can imagine what people had back in 1977 and what they were seeing on the screen for a new hope was had to be i mean it was mind-blowing obviously the movie was the biggest movie ever still is one of the biggest movies ever and Mm -hmm. it's to the effect of just how mind-blowing it was and how different it was and to see that you know this you see the tainted four like oh you know that's a big ship coming over and you see the star destroyer and it's just like the the sense of scale and the sense of like holy crap this is something interesting and different i still think i think a New Hope's opening is a, just right behind Revenge of the Sith as the best opening in Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh, that's, that's a hot take. Because if you don't have the A New Hope opening, you're never going to get the Revenge of the Sith opening. Yeah. You, you can't... I'm not sure if we talked about it or not on that episode, but, like, Revenge of the Sith is amazing. It's, that's an it's amazing stellar. thing. But, like, 
A New Hope is that, but just smaller scale, but still big scale. Well, and it's just it's just more focused. I think, I think the I, thing I that the, that boggles my mind about uh, Revenge of the Sith isn't necessarily as much the scale as it is seeing the Clone Wars brought to life. Because right. now that now that I've seen the Clone Wars and I've seen some of those types of you know Confederacy ships in the Clone Wars, and then I've seen some of those Republic gunships in the Clone Wars, and now that I'm seeing them in live action, I'm just like, oh wow! Like my last experience watching Revenge of the Sith, I took in that that overarching shot from the perspective of the Clone Wars, I'm sitting here going, wow, if this was animated, this would have been really cool. But now that it's live action, it's freaking amazing. But I, I don't think I can picture the, a new hope opening in animated format. If that makes sense. Like the, the reason for the, the jaw dropping for me now in revenge of the Sith is because I'm seeing the Clone Wars brought to life. The reason yeah. that my jaw drops out of New Hope is simply because it's jaw-dropping cinematography. Mm-hmm. I, I, and and to think think that you know after all the changes, like there's nothing different about that scene now. Like it's exactly as yeah. it was in 1977. Yeah, and you can imagine like scene at that point, Star Trek, which you know deserves all the credit in the world for what it did, but you know was was hindered by the the special effects of the time. Yeah, they dressed up a dog and claimed it was an alien. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was it was a product of its time and you know Star Wars, I mean the whole thing. That's the whole reason this podcast exists is because we wanted to kind of debunk the whole Star Trek versus Star Wars thing because it's dumb. Yep. It's always been dumb. Yep. And you know, Star- Hallelujah. you know George Lucas watched episodes of Star Trek while while writing this film mm-hmm. like Star Trek oh Star Wars owes a lot to Star Trek and then you turn that back around where Star Trek was put in theaters and made into films because of the success of Star Wars and the obviously the special effects ILM worked on Star a lot of the Star Trek films like it all came back around so these both two yeah. franchises have always been intertwined in their fates um but you know just it, you know, A New Hope itself, especially with special effects, just raised the bar so high. Like, no one, like, ILM was created to make this film. There were special effects that were created for this film to make it happen. And it's just astounding that, you know, people literally hadn't seen anything like this before, ever. Yeah. A lot of people don't understand that, like, things influence each other, you know? Like, Star Trek was around way before Star Wars. I don't think there's one thing that makes one better than the other besides like your personal preference. But, you know, like I've said in the past, I've just recently started getting into Star Trek, the show and uh, beyond, you know, into the next generation and all that. And I'm realizing what Star Trek is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be like Star Wars. Star Wars isn't supposed to be like Star Trek. They're both two different tones. They're trying to say different things and they do a good job at it. And, at the same time, it's okay for, you know, George Lucas to watch Star Trek and go, hey, that's a cool idea for this. That's a cool idea for that. And, you know, I I dare say we wouldn't have a new hope without Star Trek. Exactly. Well, yeah, and you can totally see elements of, say, Captain Kirk's character in Han Solo's character. Yeah, for sure. That, like, confidence, bravado. Taking taking a risk, being really proud of your ship. Uh, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of... 
there's a lot of the, those types of, of different qualities that you notice um, kind of crossing over from one area to the other. So, I mean, it, it totally I, – I, I've never – here's the thing. I, I keep getting sidetracked. I've got about five or six different thoughts, and I'm trying to compile them all into one. Um, there was a time when I followed the SWU and would trash talk those pictures of, like, people in red shirts pointing their – phasers at stormtroopers on the other side of the aisle of a convention hall or something like that (laughs) and i would trash talk the living daylights out of those pictures just being like star wars is better than star trek like that uppercase sign that that better that more than sign that you see Mm -hmm. and i was i was just i was that guy for a long time and then uh the next generation popped up on netflix and my dad was like i haven't seen that in a long time let's give it a shot and i started watching it and I was like, oh, my gosh, there's a whole other world of science fiction out there. Yes. That's just – it's so different but also so good. And that's really where IPC came from, like you said, is that division between those things just doesn't make sense. I mean, in all honesty, the biggest commonality that these two franchises have is the word star. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Like if you're if you're actually looking at it from a – thematic point of view or just a genre point of view star wars has more in common with lord of the rings than it does with star trek yeah yeah it's like especially the fantasy elements and mm -hmm. just the whole like you know star wars is largely fantasy with sci-fi elements and a lot of other elements and star trek is you know hardcore sci-fi and as you said jake like there's so many things that Star Trek is goes heavy into a lot of different, you know, I dare say, in the immortal words of a keyboard warrior these days, SJW stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it, it, Star Trek does that, it has always done, and Star Wars does it's the similar things, but also very differently. And all that's to say, <laughs> this whole tangent about Star Trek versus Star Wars, it's dumb. It's always been dumb. And I'm glad it's mostly gone away now because... It really has. Maybe IPC helped help that along. Yeah. That we finally kind of got past that because it never made sense. Well, I mean, I was right there with you, Zach. Like, it was just kind of a running joke just because my family never really got into Star Trek that, you know, oh, Star Trek sucks. But that was without giving it a chance. So, yeah. I, I mean, a little bit of a tangent, but if anybody if anybody thinks something is dumb without having ever tried it, having been there before, give it a try at least and see if you like it or not. And that goes if you've never seen Star Wars, too. You may not be into science fiction. You may not be into fantasy or anything like that. You may be more of a, you know, based on a true story type of person. And that's totally fine. Um, but before you condemn something, you should try it out, you know, firsthand. Exactly. Uh, back to the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've, I don't know about you guys, but I went, I went back and I watched the movie again to prepare for this discussion. And one of the things that I found myself doing, and I'm so glad that I ended up watching the movie by myself this time around, because if I had been watching it with somebody, they would have gotten mad at me. Um, I would say (laughs) about 75 to 80% of the time, I was quoting right along with the lines that were happening in the movie. Yeah. I'd be like, I'd, I'd be like, holding her is dangerous. And I, and I just, like, keep going along throughout the whole sequence. And and then there were times that I would improvise. Because Vader would be like, you are part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. 
And instead of saying, take her away, I would flip my arm around and I said, you're grounded. Go to your room. Because <laughs> now that I know the context and I know the story, I've got all the spoilers. We know that that's like one of the heavily memed things is like, you're grounded. You know, don't back talk your don't back talk your dad, Missy. That kind of thing. And it's it's crazy the different levels that this movie works too. Because if you don't know anything going in, or if they had never made an Empire Strikes Back, that you know, it would have been fine. Yeah, it would have just been like Leia's a character, Darth Vader's a character. But you get two more parts to that story, and it makes it so much deeper. This film in and of itself because it's like with just watching this film in a vacuum like you just have this classic story you know between good and evil and the you know vader versus leia and all this kind of stuff and then you peel back the layers and watch all the other movies and realize oh it's uh you know this person knows this person but they don't know (laughs) their their father and daughter and all this stuff and i I love it because it encapsulates how freaking weird Star Wars is. It is freaking weird. And you have to remind people when they take it way too seriously nowadays. Like, oh, oh, those bombs can't fall in space. Guys, guys, seriously. The, the, you know, Luke and Leia kissed. Remember that. This is a weird franchise. What it's freaking weird. What are the odds? Like, in this vast universe, it's Never enormous. Never tell me the odds. Billions and billions and billions of people, just hundreds and thousands of light years across, and yet somehow we're able to focus our attention on not one, not two, but three family members who do not know that they are related. Yeah, like it's like the, the the possibility of that happening is just flat out astronomical. Yeah, and yet it works in this movie. Like that's just crazy. Some good family drama there. <laughs> I mean, probably some of the better family drama that we got from the seventies, if we're being honest. Yeah. <laughs> outside of yep. outside of the actual family drama that was happening in the seventies, it's like hippie <laughs> drama, right? Oh, my brother smokes weed. I don't know. Um, it's just... Oh, boy. That happened it's, a it's, lot. It still it, does. Hey, times haven't changed that much. They really haven't, if we're being totally honest. <laughs> nah, I'm pretty sure people stopped smoking weed in about 1980. They made it illegal. That means you're not allowed to do it, Jake. Oh, no. Good thing I don't. Well, it's becoming uh, legal in a lot of states. Well, we're not talking. We're, this isn't the weed cast. <laughs> we're talking about. We we are obviously very tired because we are following so many tangents. Yeah. It's Instead ridiculous. Of IPC, it's IP weed. Oh, no, I can't say that. <laughs> Wait, you pee weed? That's, <gasps> That's what I just painful. realized I said. Yes, I know. <laughs> oh. We're out of our minds. Weed is drugs. Drugs uh, in Star Wars are death sticks. There, I brought it back around. Sure. Don't do drugs, kids. Please, for the love of God. Don't do death okay. sticks. You you you'll you'll end up wanting to go home and rethink your life. Yeah. Uh, main characters. Okay. We've got we've got um we got Owen Lars, we got mm-hmm. Baru Lars. We've got uh the these creatures called Jawas. Uh, we've got um sand people. 
we've got uh, this this random lieutenant that keeps whispering in everybody's ear um, on the Death Star. We've got TK421, an essential character that we cannot have Mm -hmm. this movie without. Absolutely. Why aren't you at your post? Yeah, really. Um, There's so many essential characters that that we just absolutely have to have in this movie. Otherwise it just isn't a good movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we've got, you know, these secondary characters like uh, Luke star killer or something like that. I, I forget, I forget his name. He, he does, he does something, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Fun fact, the scene in which Mark Hamill comes into Princess Leia's cell and says, I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm here to rescue you. He originally filmed that by saying, I'm Luke Starkiller. I'm here to rescue no you. No way. And they changed it on the spot. Wow. And they said, okay, we're no, no, we're changing your name. You were Luke Starkiller. You're now Luke Skywalker. You have to go refilm that scene. See, that's what I'm talking about. Little things like that that changed on a moment's notice that, like, they could have been different and changed their entire perception of what these characters were and, and everything. It's crazy. And we would have never questioned it. Like, it would have been like, oh, yeah, he was almost Luke Skywalker, but he was actually right. Luke and then, Starkiller. And then in The Force Awakens, they would have had to destroy Skywalker base. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, and, and that, that's the other interesting thing is you've got the Death Star which is the the primary super weapon of this movie, if he had kept the character name, it would have sounded somewhat redundant. You've got the Death Star, and then you've got a character named Star Killer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally get the name change there, because it's a bit... Star Killer, a bit, bit aggressive. Bit it, it's Skywalker, a little aggressive, it's a bit, and it's, it's, a, bit it's, on the, and it's a, bit. a bit on the nose, too. Yeah. Because uh, like then you've got some foreshadowing in there that's like, oh, there's this thing called the Star, and he's a Star Killer. <laughs> I wonder what's gonna happen here. You got Star Destroyers, Death Stars, Star Killers. Like, layoff. We know this is Star okay, Wars. Okay, you, like, you know, on. you know what one of my favorite names in, like, favorite weapon names in all of Star Wars is, and I'm so disappointed that it got swept up into the Legends canon. Sun but, Sun Killer, or what's it called? The Sun The Sun Crusher. Crusher, yeah. Sun Crusher. The Sun Crusher. I'm right oh, there. Oh, well, my I mean, gosh. obviously, you know, the new Lucasfilm loves super weapons. So you know, it could very well come back around at some point. I thought I thought they reused it. Only if Kip Duran is piloting it. I'm just saying, <laughs> like that that know. that was one of my favorite storylines, the Jedi Academy trilogy, which actually took place on Yavin Four. They uh, oh, they, yeah. they 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 wrote that trilogy to where Luke created a new temple of Jedi on the abandoned Masasi temples that the rebels used in this movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of Yavin four in the old. There EU. is a lot. There's a lot of Yavin, and rightfully so. It's probably one of my favorite star systems in all of Star Wars, because it's a gas giant. Yet somehow one of its moons is capable of sustaining life. It's, That's crazy. I'm hoping. I'm gonna make a prediction here. I think Yavin's gonna show up in Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I think it's gonna happen. Yeah. Um, Poe Dameron is from Yavin four. So yeah, that's true. Might have to retrace his steps or something. Yeah, yeah, it's quite possible. I've, yeah. I've always been curious about like the history of Yavin Four and like what are those temples and what were the you know like what what's the history like and the oh. what you know what kind of cool stuff can you dig up? Going back to this film, like taking that location, which is just 
you know, in Guatemala, mm-hmm. those ancient temples that are real that you can go and see like right now, they exist. Taking those and just taking a location like that and turning it into a rebel base, like what? Yeah. And like, and it makes so much sense in adding so much like history. Like you, if you think about not just this film, but all of the Star Wars films using like real world locations that are real on this planet, but they represent like so many different planets. And, mm-hmm. you know, that is just an example of like the otherworldliness of taking advantage of that just a magnificent place here on Earth and turning it into something that has obviously now has so much history within the Star Wars universe. Right. Yeah. I think that's something that the Star Wars has always been pretty good about doing is, you know, there's there's places from Earth history that get utilized and then there's places that become history you know like people visit tunisia now for the purpose of visiting luke skywalker's home yeah i mean you have you have the igloo that was created there back in 1977 Mm -hmm. then it kind of withered away at some point then they came back for attack of the clones recreated it and then it again started going away and then fans went over there and redid it and actually built it back to the way it is now, and I think it might be going away a bit now, but uh, it's still there because you know it is this just iconic location that fans cared a lot about, and you know you can still visit it. I when I was a kid, it never registered to me that that pit that you can see like on the on the Lara's homestead where you look down and there's like a little uh, moisture evaporator and stuff and and they're talking to each other I never got that that was the actual house and the igloo was just like the entrance to the underground you know I always thought like wait they all live in that tiny little igloo <laughs> and, and then oh, I pieced it yeah. together but I always thought it'd be cool to like if I moved out to the desert in Arizona or something like that or Nevada buy some land build area 51 egg. yeah area 51 <laughs> uh, if i could get in there um maybe after the raid maybe I, after the raid i love the fact that that whole thing like when when luke comes out of the igloo and then he goes over and talks to aunt baru baru is standing in a hotel a real life hotel that still exists you can still stay at in tunisia but it's in a completely different location in a city in tunisia what the crater that he's looking down into is not a crater. It does not exist. It's just a rim that they created with dirt. So he's looking down into nothing. She's looking up at the sky, which is at another location. So Whoa. the so those are two different locations. It's just insane. Man, and it's you know, I know so little about this movie that's supposedly my favorite movie of all time. Right? I'm sitting here going, I really need to brush up on my Star Wars trivia. Yeah, it makes me want to open up it IMDb is... and just look through all the trivia. Well, I mean, I am what... I'm, I am looking at that, but it, a lot of it is like big paragraphs of stuff. I'm, I'm like the Thanos of Star Wars. I've been cursed <laughs> with this knowledge. Apparently, Harrison Ford found the dialogue to be very difficult. Later saying, you can type this bleep, but you can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Harrison uh, Ford. And I, yeah, what a what a know, treasure. He's that guy, and I love again. Okay, more trivia for you guys. Um, Harrison Ford was working on Francis Ford Coppola's uh, entryway to his office as a carpenter, not as an actor. 
Yeah. And George Lucas pulled him in to, to, to help with, read lines against it. Not even to audition, just to just read to lines against with other actors. Yeah. And he got the part that way. I do I do I do remember that. He was he was just helping out and then ended up getting the part because he read it so damn well. <laughs> Dang. Wow, I didn't even okay. realize this. Darth Vader only has twelve minutes of screen time. He, re- he he's not in this movie a whole That's lot. Crazy. Dang. If you actually think about. Tarkin is really the main villain in this movie. Yeah. It's not yeah. thing. Palpatine's not there. He hasn't really even been created yet at this mm-hmm. point. And Vader is just there kind of in the background. It's funny how we, especially today, after Rogue One and all the Revenge of the Sith and all that kind of, we perceive him as, oh, this big badass can kind of swing around a lightsaber and kill people. Like, in New Hope, he doesn't do anything. Yeah. He just, he kind of, he, you know, touches sabers with Ben Kenobi a few times, and then he flies around and then gets blasted off to space by Han Solo at the end. He doesn't do a whole lot, but he still has that presence Mm -hmm. that is just unmistakable. You take that, just the costume, the voice, everything about that character is so iconic. Again, people, you could go to anyone on the face of this earth right now and show them a picture of Darth Vader and they know who it is. They don't even have to have seen Star Wars, but they know who Darth Vader is. See, the same is true with a picture of the outline of the state of Texas. You could show them. We you know. could show them that picture, and they'd be like, "Oh, Texas." You show them a picture of I don't know Wyoming, and they'd be like, "Box." <laughs> yeah, that's the downside to a lot of those. Is that states. Colorado? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Colorado, uh, Nebraska, New Mexico, uh, Utah, Wyoming, <laughs> Kansas, Pennsylvania. And then you show them a picture of Mississippi. And it's like, oh, Alabama. Oh, you know, flip it around. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I get, I get my Vermont and my New Hampshire screwed up sometimes, but That's I think, an easy... I think most people do. I mean, I used to know every state and every state capital, and now I'm just, uh, it's Ooh. lost on Ooh, me. Ooh, I don't know the capitals, but I do know my states. I played that game from the from the TV show Friends. There's a there's a Thanksgiving episode where one of them walks in right before Thanksgiving dinner is served, and they're all playing a game where you've got six minutes to name as many states as you can. Dang. And uh, I, I actually, that, actually, I I think wow. there was one time that I got all fifty in six minutes. Wow! Wow! One one time. I, I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could repeat it, and I don't know if we have time to try and repeat it tonight. But just take my word for it. One of these days, <laughs> I might make like a make like a video for it or something, and and try and see. If if that's something I can recreate, I have the advantage that I've been to every one of them. Not that I want to brag or anything. <laughs> <laughs> you've you've got that whole pics or it didn't happen. Pics, well, it did happen, biatch. So get over it. <laughs> some friends of mine, some friends of mine, recently went to Arizona, which is a desert, which is also where mm-hmm. Tatooine is. But oh my gosh, nothing compares to the Grand Canyon. Just putting that out there. Grand Canyon is nice. Oh really my nice. gosh, it's like the background image for my computer now. I asked him if I could borrow the picture and use it for my personal I, use. Right? Yeah, on my way over to California, I we stopped by the or on the way back. I'm sorry, we stopped by the Grand Canyon, and it was absolutely breathtaking. I like truly a, a, a experience where pictures do no justice. Like it gives you a glimpse maybe, but when you get there and you can see the actual depth of the canyon and how big it really is, it's insane. Dang. It's one of those places where it's just like, wow, like that. Yeah. Like you you don't believe it because it's it's just you're right. The pictures don't do it justice. It's hard to it's... imagine anything that big can even exist. 
Oh, okay, one question I have. Why are we talking about the Grand Canyon? I was about <laughs> to bring it back around. <laughs> I was about to ask you guys if you thought it was the size of a small moon. Oh, wow, that would have been a good segue, too. I mean, technically speaking, yes. Uh, except yeah. there's no moon. It's a space station. <laughs> okay, uh, let's just change gears completely here. I want to know, Jake, I'm going to ask you first. Yeah. Uh-oh. Your favorite character from this film can be anyone. Oh man, i I gotta uh, I've gotta say Han Solo. Like that, I hesitate because I feel like everybody wants to say mm-hmm. that, but Han Solo is just so cool. You know, he's just like from his introduction in the cantina to you know him ending up doing the right thing in the end with that awesome re-entrance and and saving uh, luke's butt there he is just really cool he's he's who you want to be and he he makes it seem so easy and uh i don't know he's got a cool friend in chewbacca chewbacca is awesome too um but yeah there's there's nothing that han does in this movie that even if it's a little despicable or unlikable like it should be unlikable there's a charm to it and there man i just i never get tired of watching harrison ford play han solo he's so great so so great in that role they he didn't learn his lines for the intercom conversation in the cell block that that's one of my favorite moments in any movie period is that whole conversation Boring well, conversation. That, anyway, I think it was completely improvised. So good. Well, and, and I think I think the thing that's so cool. Have you guys read the book from a certain point of view? I want to. Yes. I want to. It's great. I, every time I go to something like a Barnes and Noble or a Books a Million, I end up trying to look for that, and I'll spend about fifteen to twenty minutes reading a couple of the different stories. That way, I don't have to buy it, but I still get something <laughs> out of it. Because it's like forty bucks. I'm not paying for that. Yeah. Um. But there's one story that is told from the perspective of the security personnel that are overseeing the monitors and are on the other side of the intercom. And yep. it's it, it's like showing how like one person's shift is ending and it was like just another boring day at the office. And then he's like handing the shift over to somebody else and it's their turn to experience boredom. Only it just happens to be the shift when they try and break out the princess and all hell breaks loose. <laughs> and so like... That shift is now talking to Han over the intercom. That shift is now trying to figure out what happened to uh, to the video feed. And then it's those security personnel that have to make the call to Tarkin to let him know that there's an emergency alert in AA-23. And they didn't know who was being held there. For security reasons, they didn't know who the prisoner was in that cell block. They just knew that there was a prisoner there and it was a possible breach. When they called Tarkin and he said, the princess, put all sections on alert. They just then were able to start putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And they're like, princess? What princess? Oh, how many princesses are there? Well, oh. And you have like these little <laughs> light bulb type moments happening in the security office. As awesome. Han and Luke are breaking her out. Like they're starting to catch on just what's going on by putting pieces of it together through whatever information they're getting. Yeah. That's, that's the main reason that I'm so interested in that book is just to get a different take from something that I already know. It's so fascinating. Like there's also a story that's from the perspective of the bartender at the Moss Eisley Cantina. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
That's cool. Then and as he's watching, you know, the droids walk in and why he turns them away, as he's watching the conversation as they're negotiating for the ride, and then as he watches Greedo point a gun in Solo's face and how Solo shoots him and then he just drops the bartender a coin and walks out. So cool. like all of that stuff transpires from a certain point of view, that point of view being of the barkeep. Yeah. And by the yeah. way, that whole sequence where he shoots Greedo and then just flips the coin, can't you see that being in like a Western or something? Oh, yeah. Even the way Han walks, like he walks with like his hands just kind of hovering at his sides yeah. like a thing. Like it's straight out of a Western. Ready like to it draw. truly is. Like it's it's just straight Clint Eastwood. Yep. That's how they play yeah. it. He's, he is totally a space was. Clint Eastwood. He is. Yeah, exactly. I love it. Exactly. Zach favorite character do you have one do you want to share it with us i mean i was sharing in jake's edification of han just because i think han would be my answer as well if i had if i had to to go with another one though i probably would actually go with um tarkin yeah tarkin's great because he everyone that he interacts with he basically commands authority and some of that is just uh, in in a large part to Peter Cushing's portrayal. But it's also just that type of character. You know, the backstory that they give him in the Clone Wars and in Rebels kind of helps prepare you for who he is in Rogue One and in A New Hope. And he's he's very committed to the Empire. And he's a great negotiator to the point that he's got the respect of a Dark Lord of the Sith. And when he says, release him. Vader actually releases him, you know, yep. like yeah. he, yep. he's just got that kind of authority and he doesn't play games like he gave the order to fire on Alderaan simply because he was ticked off at Leia. Yeah, like he he could have tested the weapon on some other backwater planet like they did uh, in Rogue One, but he chose Alderaan because Leia was ticking him off. <laughs> and so, like, he's he's a little bit on the petty side, but he's also on the aggressive side, but he's also on this invincible perspective where he's like, nothing can touch us, nothing can touch the Empire, nothing can touch me. And even when his lieutenant offers him a, a chance to escape during the final battle, he's like, evacuate? I think you overestimate their chances. Like, he's just, he's so smug. But... But he's like a professionally, like a classically trained actor. And that corresponding to some of the action style acting that we get from Luke and Leia and Han and Chewie as they're running around the Death Star, it counterbalances everything so incredibly well. Yeah. It's, yeah, that that whole, like, pal, Tarkin is such a great villain. Like, he's such, because he's so evil. He is so evil. Like he just, yeah. he just, he destroys an entire planet, kills billions of people. He, he just to care. make a point. Yep. And uh, well, I, before you get to yours, Ben, um, if I had to choose a second favorite character in here, you talked about Zach. You talked about classically trained actors. They they bring such a you know gravitas to to their roles because you've got two main ones in here. You've got Tarkin, and then you've got alec guinness playing obi-wan and if i had to choose my second one my second favorite it ha it would have to be Obi-Wan. Yep. and ironically my number one choice is ben kenobi there you go. for me 
He's just, I mean, overall, the Star Wars saga. He's your namesake. Ask me if I'm surprised. <laughs> little bias there, are you, Ben? I can't confirm that with my parents, but I'm just going to assume they named me after Ben Kenobi. <laughs> Whatever, that's neither here nor there. Um, but Alec Guinness, like, the performance that he gives is so elevated, and it's also, it works so well within the context of this movie, but then watching all the films, and and you can, st- it still plays so well as, like, you know, taking, for example, the whole Darth Vader your father was seduced to the dark side of the forest. Darth Vader killed him. This whole thing. He plays it genuinely. And then, and obviously in this film, it's it's the truth. It's not meant to be from a certain point of view. And you have Return of the Jedi come back and really straight up retcon that whole thing, that whole conversation. Mm-hmm. But there's, and there's other stuff where he's interacting with R2. Yeah, And you can pull much. so much from that because you know that they know each other. But then you're like... And he's kind of winking a nod at R2 the whole time and, you know, like, like my little friend and all this kind of stuff. And, and he's like, you can pull so much from that. And Alec Guinness, I don't know what his, like, I don't know what he was trying to do with that, but he obviously, like, put so much character into the role that he created, like, this mythos that you can, you can project so many feelings and so many thoughts onto his performance that obviously weren't there when they did this movie. Well, and what's so funny is, I, I don't, I, this, I don't mean this is a funny haha, but like a, a funny hmm kind of thing. Everybody kind of remembers Alec Guinness for his role as Ben Kenobi, and I think he, as an actor, would be rolling over in his grave Absolutely. over that. And let me let me tell you why. Because the man already was a legend yeah. before they brought him onto Star Wars. He he was kind of on the tail end of his career and decided to do a space movie because it paid well. Like they, they put a large portion of their budget into paying Alec Guinness to be in this movie. But he had done a lot of other stuff beforehand, folks, including in 1973... He played Hitler himself in the last 10 days. And I don't know if my voice just got deep. Did it change? I was just about to say, yeah, it got deep. <laughs> it got, it you, got you, really you, Oh, my You're going like, all, got like Darth Vader on us now. I have traced the rebel spies to her. <laughs> Dude! <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> Okay, I got I've got uh, microphone problems. Obviously, give me a second here. <laughs> this is amazing. Oh, uh, maybe I should just let me. Can you? Can you... I have been waiting for you, Obi Wan. <laughs> we meet again at last. The circle is now complete. When I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. <laughs> oh my God. James Earl Jones, watch out. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to hear this in post because I have no idea what it sounds like. <laughs> well, to, to continue my thought then about Sir Alec Guinness, he was Adolf Hitler in Hitler the Last Ten Days back in 1973. Wow. He was Jacob Marley's ghost in Scrooge the Musical back in 1970. Wow. Wow. He was... He was Prince Faisal in Lawrence of Arabia. 
he was Fagin in a 1948 movie version of Oliver Twist. Wow. And then he played the role of Colonel Nicholson in Bridge on the River Kwai back in 1957. Classic. Which was a role that he won an Academy Award for Best Actor in. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yep. So this man has a star-studded past. And yet when he was at the Hollywood Walk of Fame, people were asking for his autograph as Ben Kenobi. And there's a legend, there's a story that I don't know if it's true. Yep. But apparently Alec Guinness gave a little kid some money as long as he promised to not watch Star Wars again. No, it was his autograph. What? It was his autograph. I heard he I heard he he told him to stop watching Star Wars. I think there's, I, there's probably different versions that, that, of the story. From what I heard, he the kid was begging him for his autograph and he said, I'll give you the autograph if you never watch Star Wars again. <laughs> What? Oh my gosh! Not not a uh, glowing endorsement there. Well, I mean, I I don't even know what to make of that because the whole point of wanting the man's autograph was because of Star Wars. So like, it's right. one of those impossible situations where it's like, yes, I've got his autograph. No, I can't watch the movie ever again. But it's funny. I mean, we're honestly, t- what's just talking about Harrison Ford? It definitely seems like Alec Guinness was the grumpy older character <laughs> in the, in the thing just like he, just he just like Harrison, Harrison Ford, Ford. <laughs> and now Mark Hamill seems to have adopted that now so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah wonder where they all got it from uh, there's got to be one every every so often so well i heard rumors that uh Harrison and Mark would goof around on set whenever Alec wasn't on set but as soon as he showed back up on the scene they got super serious again. Oh, well, you if you've seen like if you go like watch the bloopers and the outtakes, which just like recently in the past few years have been released from this movie, um, Alec Guinness seems very like goofy in some of them. Like he's very you know things. So uh-huh. It's fun yeah. to see that because you know in that movie he's very stoic, and Alec Guinness seems like a very stoic actor in real life too. Yeah. Possibly, but I don't it's care. Possible. I don't care if he was grumpy after this movie. He still made one of the best performances ever in any movie. Period, and made one of my favorite characters of all time. So, and mm-hmm. helped make the first movie to ever gross three hundred million dollars. Apparently, yes. yes. Just we're just so we're just right. so chock full of of awesome pieces of trivia. But uh, before we go to our break, I think it's. Uh, a fair question to ask what our favorite scene might have been from this movie because i mean everything from the opening crawl and the opening scene to you know the metal presentation at the end there's so many great sequences in this film that are worth touching on it's hard to pick just one Yeah, i mean i i specifically love the little gap between when it says a long time ago in the galaxy far far away and then it fades to black at the very end, where it's just directed by George mm-hmm. Lucas, that little gap right there—that's what I love. That's my favorite scene. <laughs> that 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 little piece, that that little two-hour piece that's right there in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> okay. I don't know what everybody else thinks, but that's mine. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, for me, I think just the entire Moss Eisley sequence is yeah. just so cool because it just really sets a tone for like. You know, the scum and villainy that's in the universe is you can get a good sampling of it right there. And you get to see all these cool aliens and 
and the atmosphere is just like you know what's gonna happen next and obviously that's where you meet han solo and chewy and and the whole conversation between luke and obi-wan and han and chewy you know they're coming from different places but that's the conversation that sets everything in motion basically and so much stuff happens you got greedo in there i love greedo um cantina scene is obviously iconic and uh yeah there's just something about the whole moss eisley sequence from start to finish that encapsulates what i love about star wars that's fair um i think the thing that i like about that sequence is how dated it looks and yet simultaneously how futuristic it looks because it's so yeah. full of aliens and it's it's so full of stuff that just doesn't seem of this world. And yet at the same time, Luke goes into Docking Bay 94, looks at the Falcon and goes, what a piece of junk. <laughs> and so you've got this weird blend of being able to present something that looks dated and yet also looks futuristic. Like that type of set design is just still to this day yeah. And a lot of it has to do with you know Christopher McQuarrie's artwork because his his artwork is super you know like his vision for what Star Wars could be is pretty much what it became more or less and when I look at Christopher McQuarrie's paintings wait am I am I saying the right name Christopher McQuarrie uh, I, it's actually Ralph I think it's Ralph, Ralph. McQuarrie Christopher McQuarrie is a director my bad Ralph McQuarrie um his his paintings you know like if if you look at his painting of the falcon in the docking bay um he he pretty much got the angle right the shape of everything right um but it's still pretty polished you know it still looks kind of nice and shiny but you know when you make that a real thing and a real prop or a matte painting or something like that and add all the little dings and the rust and you know the the dirt it that's that layer of that is what makes it feel like a real thing you know it makes it feel like yeah this is all futuristic like you said zach but also used very well used mm-hmm. yeah it, it it's it's that's the, that's what makes star wars so special is that you know and going back to our whole tangent about star trek versus star wars star star trek kind of was in a way kind of feeding into that classic sci-fi trope of you know everything is new and and that was part of star trek was this was supposed to be this utopian future and all this kind of stuff whereas star wars was all about this is way in the past it's another galaxy and it looks like it looks real because it looks like it's been used it looks like people Mm -hmm. been used it's like this this millennium falcon has been around for a heck of a long time and been through a lot and went through the kessel run and got banged up and all this kind of stuff and you know even though we just recently saw that story like for real on screen, the story was always there because the set design and the, the production value was set there in this film from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whew. Whew. So many, so many thoughts. Uh, uh, mine's pretty straightforward. Uh, it's the trench run. Yeah. Um, every, everything from, from when they actually land at the rebel base, when they finally make it there, uh, through the 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 debriefing session and the preparation, uh, seeing Biggs, uh, getting loaded up, going in there, you know, uh, the entire fight sequence, the random 
surprise of Han showing up at the last possible second, uh, the explosion, you know, again, another one of those pieces of spectacle that I'm sitting there going, man, I would have loved to have seen that on the big screen. You know, that whole scene, I can just picture Star Wars fans today still cheering at that scene, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, as the explosion goes off, the theater erupts in a round of applause. Like, I would just love to be a part of the intensity, to share that intensity with uh, with a whole group of other people. That's just, that's one sequence. If I had to pick, like, one scene of a movie to watch with somebody, mm-hmm. I would probably pick that scene. Yep. Mm-hmm. I agree. Absolutely. Um, for me, I know I said, I know I kind of already said my scene, but if I had to one, get a little more particular with this, I would have to say it's the whole sequence in the detention block. And that whole, just the whole dynamic between the characters in regards to, like, you know, Han, Luke, Chewie go in there to rescue, quote-unquote, Leia having really no escape plan and her getting out and reminding them that <laughs> and <laughs> being the one to actually rescue them immediately because they have no way out. Like that whole thing. Well, what the hell are you doing? Saving your skin. Like, you know, it's that whole thing. And just the immediately the great chemistry between all those actors and all those characters that you, you see immediately that still last to this day that you that you see in even the newer films it's just great mm-hmm. man i think the other thing that i really like about about that sequence is the the way it kind of sets the stage for the rest of the film as well because now that all of our main characters are together and now that they're all interacting it kind of sets things up for how the next portion of the film's going to go yeah. You know, we we've seen how they interact with, you know, one or two people, but now that they're as a collective, how does Luke interact with Leia? How does Leia interact with Han? How does Chewie interact with Luke? You know, it do does Chewie interact with Luke. You know, it's it's a really great uh examination of group dynamics under tension. And actually probably like a really solid example of how group work goes in the classroom. <laughs> you end up with like one person that tries to take charge and another person that's like, I'm in it just for the grade. I'm taking care of me. And then somebody else is like, would somebody get the big useless lump of flesh out of my way? <laughs> like, like the, the, that's basically how group work works in the college setting. I'm just saying, but it's, it's just really fun to watch overall. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, Jake, you you had a thought that you wanted to present to us. Well, yeah, it's just it's one of those things that I kind of take for granted in the Star Wars universe. It's not something I always think of as the first thing to talk about or expound upon or anything like that. But it's such an integral part of the Star Wars universe, and it just kind of makes me wonder what was going through George Lucas's mind when he came up with this. And it is just the concept of the Force. You know, like mm-hmm. what what was it supposed to be in A New Hope and what, you know, we see what it's turned into and all the different uh, types and, and things you can do and all that stuff. But in in this movie, it's basically kind of presented to us as a religion, you know, from the, that right. the, the Jedi are a part of, but also Darth Vader, who's not exactly a Jedi. He has tapped in is tapped into that power as well, and um, there's, you know, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of moving rocks or anything 
in this movie it's just it's just kind of communicating with and kind of well luke hears obi-wan you know and he can sense when the remote is gonna shoot him and stuff um but besides that it's like not a whole lot else is explored about the force you know was this something that george lucas wanted to explore a little bit later i'm sure um but what made what he presented to us in this movie enough if this movie didn't go anywhere afterwards like say it wasn't a success that's all we would have gotten of the force right no no it's just it's interesting because the the more i think about the force and the whole concept of the force the weirder it is you know because it's like a it kind of makes you a superhero in this world more or less you can move stuff around you could jump really high run really fast whatever um but you can also like I don't know. There's just so many facets to the Force. It's an interesting thing. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's deep, and it's gotten even deeper since this film came out. But, you know, the whole idea of the Force and, you know, how you tap into it and who can tap into it, and, you know, it's it's kind of changed and evolved over the years. But, you know, the ultimate thing is, as you said, like it's kind of like this kind of religious thing within the Star Wars and, and A New Hope specifically. It's like, you know... And that's what that's the fascinating thing about this is like in this film it's it's generally presented as just like a just a religion you know that mm-hmm. you, some people believe in some people don't you know you have you know obi wan being this kind of cult leader <laughs> that's yeah. that's indoctrinating Luke, and then you know you have Han who is like nah, nah, nah I'm an atheist man that that that's all a bunch of b s like and you wonder like why obi wan doesn't like force slap han and and make him a believer but <laughs> You know, it just doesn't happen that way. Yeah. So many thoughts, so little time. And I won't force the issue on us to continue Uh this conversation any longer than we have to. Uh, We're going to take a break and uh, go to a program identification and hear from some of our friends. And then we'll come back in just a second to give our final thoughts on our planet scores for Star Wars A New Hope. We'll be right back. This is IPC. Greetings, this is Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I have drifted into the underworld. The Star Wars underworld. I have a bad feeling about this. Hey y'all, this is Ben Hart here. I know y'all just heard me on the IPC talking all things geeky and fun. Now I'm here to tell y'all about my other podcast. It's called The Star Wars Underworld, about all things Star Wars. We talk Star Wars The Clone Wars, Star Wars The Force Awakens, Star Wars Last Jedi, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and so much more. I record it with my friends Chris and Dominic, who are here to tell y'all all about it. Hello, Chris. Hello, Ben. I'm so excited to talk about Star Wars this week. It's fun. It's funny. We're going to have a great time. Hey, guys, I am so nostalgic 
for mall packaging, and I love being on the Star Wars Underworld podcast talking all the latest Star Wars news. Well, now that y'all had a little taste of the show and you know what to expect, you should check out more episodes by going to StarWarsUnderworld.com or by searching for the show on the iTunes, the Apple Podcast, the Google Play, and all sorts of things. And may the Force be with y'all. It's a wrap, eh? Continuing slash wrapping up our discussion of Star Wars A New Hope. If you want to hear our super full, super long, super in-depth discussion, then go to ipcpodcast.podbean.com and just go back through our archives and look for the episode that's titled Star Wars A New Hope. Uh, We did a really, really big discussion on it back in 2015. This is kind of a Star Wars revisited as we get ready for The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, We'll be discussing Empire Strikes Back. We'll be discussing... Uh, Return of the Jedi, The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, all of those in preparation for The Rise of Skywalker when it comes out. Uh, But for now, we're just going to go into our final thoughts and what our planet scores are for this film. Uh, Ben, I'm going to toss it to you first. Final thoughts and planet score. All right. My final thoughts are like, it's just, I mean, this film really, at this point, it speaks for itself as just a magnificent feat of just everything of filmmaking of uh special effects of writing of everything and as i said i think we really you know at least i do take it for granted as a film but it just it's still so amazing still holds up as a film and this is a film that you need to remind yourself that people didn't take it seriously at the time like the crew just made fun of it constantly like it it was thought of as this just stupid kids film and it ended up being one of the biggest and most well-respected films of all time like and i'm not even like understating that or overstating that like that's that's the truth um and it's just it's just it's really just it's a lot of fun to watch like i i being that we have all this great new star wars content this is the film that i unfortunately find myself going back to the least i think in regards to just rewatchability, like, you know, I, I love Empire. Empire's probably up there, but, like, I'll also, you know, if I'm going to go to a, a Star Wars film just to watch on hand, I'll probably go to one of the new ones because I'm less familiar with those than I am with this one. But still, you know, every time I watch this one, I'm like, that was a damn good movie. Like, that's, like, you understand why people love it and why it has made the impact that it has. So all that is to say that I'm going to give this one... 
How can I not give it a 10 out of 10? Really, how can I not? It, it's just, it's that good. It deserves it. If any film deserves it, this film deserves it. Uh, for me, this movie, it really kind of made me who I am today as far as like what I'm into and my interests and all that stuff. It just like, it, it was, I, I want to say it was the first movie my parents ever like watched with me that I remember, you know, I'm sure I watched kids movies like Barney or whatever before that. But this is the one that I first registered with me that this is like a whole different world in this movie and these characters and you know it just like i started piecing things together and and realizing that this fantasy world was something different and and cooler than you know normal life and it did so many things for movies and pop culture in general george lucas stepped out on a limb to make this passion project and it turned into something so much more and it was was so well done. It could have gone wrong, could have gone so, so wrong, but it went so, so right. And, um, yeah, I just, anytime I watch this movie, I, I can't see any fault with it. I, I hear people say that, Oh, it starts off slow and all that. And the pacing's off or whatever, but I don't find that personally. I just, anytime I watch this movie, anytime it's on, I, I have to watch the entire thing because it's just it's that good to me. You know, it's it's my favorite Star Wars movie. It's my favorite movie of all time, just for sentimental reasons and for uh, just what what it did for me and what it did for just movies in general. And um, I I also have to give it a ten out of ten just because of you know, it's, it's status in, in my life and so many people's lives. Um, obviously it's not a perfect film. I don't think there's any such thing as a perfect film, but that's the score that I think is, is appropriate for something as influential as a new hope. Ooh, you let sentiment get the best of you there, bud. Sorry. That's what I'm, that's what I'm sticking with. (laughs) Uh, I'm not. I'm not trying to change your vote, but uh, you can't make me change mine either. Because as much as I do love this film, and as much praise as I love to give it, there are other movies, and there are even other Star Wars movies that I consider better than this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's just looking at a lot of the technical things. That's looking at the longevity of it. That's looking at you know story development and things like that it's got a great full circle component to it and i think that's one of the things i like the most about it is it starts action heavy it ends with a really great action sequence and a celebration at the very end if it had just been this movie and nothing else like if they had never made anything else it would have been great it still would have been absolutely fantastic on its own it stands on its own two feet better than any other star wars film um, because they didn't know if they were going to get a sequel. And so he, you know, wrote, Lucas wrote it in such a way that it was open to interpretation whether a sequel could be made, um, and then a sequel was made. Mm-hmm. And uh, in my opinion, that sequel is one of the finest pieces of cinema ever created, period. Sure. Yep. And so um, that's one of the big things that's looming over my planet score is as amazing as this film is, 
they actually made something that I consider superior to this film. Like, yeah. And that's just an insane thought. It's absolutely insane, but in my opinion, it's also fact. So um, I love the writing. I love the characters. I love the premise, the action, the full circle effect, um, the the costuming, the set design. But um, after seeing the other lightsaber duels, I have to put a knock on that because that's just it's that's it, it's fair it, you're it, fair there yeah. I, i'm not gonna dispute you it it looks like a couple of sexagenarians whacking each other with their canes <laughs> yeah like <can't> deny. it's <laughs> it's just i it, it can be kind of embarrassing sometimes and um a f- as much as i love the trench run sequence, there are a few times where you can tell that it looks like a scale model of, you know, battleship components that are being blown up by cherry bombs. And so, you know, it's, it's little, little, little things Mm -hmm. here and there, but it's enough to not feel as perfect as its successor. So it's getting a 9.5 from me. Perfectly fair perfectly fair a little bit uh, it's like a little bit here and a little bit there still amazing still got a high rewatchability factor but i just can't quite bring myself to give it a perfect 10 out of 10 so it'll get a 9.5 from me so what you're saying is it's the worst star wars film ever you hate it and you'll never watch it again (laughs) yes thank you for summarizing my words for me there that that was exactly you can't have a middle of the road opinion on the internet you have to be either it's the best movie ever or it's the worst it's just there's just no in between Nope. Well, I don't even know what to say to that. I'm... <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have to say anything. I'm not, Just ignore I'm me. Not... Call it a terrible movie, Zach. I dare you. I'm not going to say anything. So uh, we're going to do something special for the quote of the night tonight. Uh, it's actually going to be dealer's choice. Um, basically, the entire movie could be one giant quote of the night. That's how well written it is. So then for the next two hours, you're going to listen to it. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Aside, aside from... The, the old men whacking each other with sticks and Ben Kenobi decides to call him by his title, thinking it's a first name. Aside from that, it's extremely well written. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I, that, that's another part I can't get over. It's like, we know that Darth is a title now, but he's, he's speaking it to him as if it was a proper name. You can't win, Darth. And I'm like, <laughs> when, when did anybody like Nobody ever says that call again. Sidious? When, when did anybody call Sidious Darth? When did anybody call Dooku Darth? Like, it's just, it's not a thing, except in this, like, these two lines. And I'm just like, ah! But aside from that, it's extremely well written. I mean, the sequence between Han and Greedo, uh, the sequence between Luke and Obi-Wan as they discuss the Force, uh, the the speech to prepare for the trench run, uh, you know, Tarkin and Leia as, uh, as Alderaan's about to be destroyed. There's so many great sequences that uh, I'm just going to leave it up to fate. I'm going to leave it up to chance. And uh, whatever ends up playing, I'm going to be fine with because (laughs) one way or another, it's going to be an amazing quote. I guarantee it. So I'm going to shut up now, and I'm going to turn it over to the person who hits the play button for this segment and give you guys tonight's quote of the night. No, my father didn't fight in the wars. He was a navigator on a spice freighter. That's what your uncle told you. He didn't hold with your father's ideals, thought he should have stayed here and not gotten involved. You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. 
I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. I wish I'd known him. He was the best star pilot in the galaxy. And a cunning warrior. I understand you've become quite a good pilot yourself. And he was a good friend. Which reminds me, I have something here for you. Your father wanted you to have this when you were old enough, but your uncle wouldn't allow it. He feared you might follow old Obi-Wan on some damn fool idealistic crusade like your father did. Sir, if you'll not be needing me, I'll close down for a while. Sure, go ahead. What is it? Your father's lightsaber. This is the weapon of a Jedi Knight. Not as clumsy or random as a blaster. An elegant weapon for a more civilized age. For over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the Old Republic. Before the dark times. Before the Empire. How did my father die? A young Jedi named Darth Vader, who was a pupil of mine until he turned to evil, helped the Empire hunt down and destroy the Jedi Knights. He betrayed and murdered your father. Now the Jedi are all but extinct. Vader was seduced by the dark side of the Force. The Force? Now the Force is what gives the Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us, it penetrates us, it binds the galaxy together. Now, let's see if we can't figure out what you are, my little friend. And where you come from. I saw part of the message. He w I seem to have found it. General Kenobi, years ago you served my father in the Clone Wars. Now he begs you to help him in his struggle against the Empire. I regret that I am unable to present my father's request to you in person, but my ship has fallen under attack, and I'm afraid my mission to bring you to Alderaan has failed. I have placed information vital to the survival of the Rebellion into the memory systems of the Tsar II unit. My father will know how to retrieve it. You must see this droid safely delivered to him on Alderaan. This is our most desperate hour. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. You must learn the ways of the Force if you are to come with me to Alderaan. Alderaan? I'm not going to Alderaan. I'm going to get home. It's late. I'm in for it as it is. I need your help, Luke. She needs your help. I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. I can't get involved. I've got work to do. It's not that I like the Empire. I hate it, but there's nothing I can do about it right now. It's a long way from here. That's your uncle talking. Oh, boy, my uncle. How am I ever going to explain this? Learn about the Force, Luke. Look, I can take you as far as Anchorhead. You can get a transport there to Mos Eisley or wherever you're going. 
You must do what you feel is right, of course. I think the thing that I find most interesting from that scene is I feel pretty certain that if Ben Kenobi is so in tune with the living force that he can feel when the Alderanians have been destroyed, he knows that Owen and Beru have been killed. And that's why he presents Luke with this challenge to come with him to Alderaan. He knows already that there's nothing left for him, but he still lets Luke figure it out for himself. I have never heard a theory like that, but that's interesting. I like that. Well, I mean, if I mean, like that whole time when he's just kind of sitting back and he's like stroking his beard or whatever, it actually, in my mind, goes all the way back to the Phantom Menace when Qui Gon's instructing him to uh, be mindful of the Living Force. He's basically aware of the life forces that are in his surroundings or where he's headed. That's why he was so in tune with the living force that he could sense when there weren't living among the Alderanian people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was his connection to the living force, and I believe that in his time on Tatooine, he learned from Qui Gon how to build a stronger presence in the living force. That was part of his training. On that note. My favorite chapter in, from a certain point of view, the book is the Master and Apprentice portion where it's, I don't want to give too much away here, but it's right as, right after Luke leaves, when they're at the Sandcrawler, Luke leaves to go back to the homestead, and then Qui-Gon appears as a Force ghost and is talking to Obi-Wan. That's so cool. And they're basically talking about, and... Qui-Gon, I think, knows that Obi-Wan is about to die. He's, like, talking to him, but he's like, you know... Th- oh, yeah, and he says something to the effect of, I'll see you soon, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, I think so. Like, there's there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a twinge of, like, Qui-Gon is kind of, like, all-knowing. He knows what's about to happen. Um, and also, they're just reflecting on the fact that Obi-Wan's been waiting all this time for 19 years for this to happen, and it's finally happening. He's finally get to get to, get to teach Luke. Um, that's, oh, man, that's just a great, that's a great chapter. Oh, man. So, yeah, his training with the Living Force gives him the presence and wherewithal to know that Owen and Beru have been killed by this point. It makes sense. And that's that's why he says to Luke, you must learn the ways of the Force if you're going to come with me to Alderaan. He already knows that there's nothing holding him back, but he still lets Luke figure it out for himself. He's trying to steer Luke away from that. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, he he finally gets a little bit more direct with him when he hops in the speeder, and he's like, wait, Luke, it's too dangerous. Like, I don't think he means physically dangerous. I think he knew it was going to emotionally wreck him. Yeah. Right. I like but, that. But at the same time, Luke needed that. Luke, that was the ultimate he motivation. He needed that closure. He, he needed did. the ultimate motivation of knowing that there's nothing, as he says, nothing for me here now. Um, and now I have the ultimate motivation to go off and kill the SOBs that killed my killed my family. <laughs> yep. And he got a few of them, too, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, he got a couple million of them, I think, at the end of the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. I was thinking about his time on the Death Star, not his time exploding it, but, yeah, that's that's yeah, also true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Turned into a hero in about 48 yeah, hours. Yeah, and Obi-Wan radicalized a, a homegrown terrorist, and he blew up a military installation, <laughs> ben, killing, go to bed. killing millions of ben. people. Killing million, millions ben. of innocent people. Ben, go to bed. <laughs> Just... The internet has not been kind to you recently, has it? No, I fully admit. The internet has ruined me, absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm going to steal that quote, too. The internet has completely destroyed me. Uh, in ways you can't even oh. imagine. Yeah. 
Well, we do we do have one more segment on tap tonight, and we are not going to be talking about the barbecued Lars family. That's just insensitive, okay. and it's not. I'm pretty going to sure happen. we did that last time, but whatever. <laughs> I feel like we probably did, but we have evolved in the last four years. Okay. And we have developed, and speaking of developed, we are developing something really cool that we want to talk about for this segment. Uh-huh. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, get out your hashtags. Put them in Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and anything else that might carry a hashtag. Because it's time, one more time, for hashtag barbecue watch. Barbecue. 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 Fun fact, I'm pretty sure one of the yeehaws in that barbecue song is when Han Solo shows up on the scene in A New Hope. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, I, I feel like it is. I feel like it is. It's been a while since I've recorded that segment or, or did any work on it, but I feel like that was a thing. Um, so if you guys recall, at one point, I think it was during our 250th, we were talking about the uh, quote-unquote TV show that we were developing uh-huh. called Barbecue. And for the, for the longest time, it was just a... Uh, just kind of speculation. It's like, okay, this will be called Seasoning 1, Seasoning 2. And we knew that we wanted Chris Pratt and David Tennant to be our star characters. Um, but what was, what was funny was you, all three of us, were in, the, were in a group chat as we work on the podcasting stuff together. And the three of us realized that uh, we would kind of like to get back into the writing game uh-huh. and uh, have thought about the, the possibility of just keeping each other accountable with some of our creative writing and, you know, sharing Google Docs and stuff like that. Basically like an IPC version of Wattpad, if you will. Um, but with that came the idea to actually write a pilot episode for this show, Barbecue, yep. themed around a barbecue truck, like a much like a taco truck, starring Chris Pratt, and David Tennant. Yeah, boy. And it's been it's it's been really fun figuring out some of the the little dynamics and the ins and outs of of what we're gonna do, who's gonna be responsible for what, uh, coming up with you know just like character backstories, and then the thing that we're gonna reveal for you guys tonight, we actually have the names for our two starring characters. Yep. Yep. So I'm I've been I feel like I've been talking a lot. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give this segment to you guys because. I, I provided some input, but a lot of this you guys kind of took point on. So I'm I'm gonna let y'all have fun with this. Well, I had come up with the name Nathan or Nate for Chris Pratt's character because it just seemed like f- like fitting. I don't know. Ben really liked that too, so uh-huh. we kind of uh-huh. went with Nate. And I don't know why I th- I thought of Hackett as the last name. It just seemed like a funny like I like that too. He's hacking the meat or something. I don't know, <laughs> but uh. It could be whatever, but Nate at least is kind of one that I thought would be good for Chris Pratt. Yeah, and then we have for uh, David Tennant, we have Colin, I believe, is his first name. Colin. Correct. Yeah, I did. I did pitch the idea of Colin, and I think it was because I was playing a, a trivia game at the time, 
and uh, the clue for the movie I was supposed to guess was that it starred Colin Firth. Oh. And I was like, you know what? That's a really proper name, and uh, it's it's something that I could kind of see in in David Tennant's uh, physique and 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 uh, and his facial features and things like that. I was like, yeah, I could see him as a Colin. Mm-hmm. I, I could totally see him as a Colin. Um, but here's the thing: I sent you guys a picture of all these different possible last names. Did you guys get a chance to look at it? Um, I think I saw that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to pull I, I basi- that. It was, basically just, it was basically just like a screen grab of all these different names, and uh, we never, I don't think we really did decide on what his last name was going to be. We've got Nathan Hackett for Chris Pratt's character, and we've got Colin first name for David. Um, but... There's there's so many well, stupid okay, last names. Okay, here's the in thing. This. Here's the thing. We can either pick one ourselves in our three person drain trust we have here, or we can put it to the audience and see if what they have. Heck yeah. I'm 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 scared of that, but okay. <laughs> I, I hope <laughs> what could go wrong. Some things are better out of our hands. Uh. Maybe. <laughs> well, okay. Question mark. Well, we will. This is the this is the most non-committal contest ever we're going to put it out to you guys if you have colin something with nate hackett and colin something find a last name for a character played by david tennant we might pick yours or we might just come up with one on our own but we but might just think, do one if you ourselves get one that's good enough that impresses us enough that we think will work best We'll pick you, and uh, you'll get an executive producer credit when this thing goes to Netflix. Heck yeah. Uh, creative consultant at I, best. I thought it would be cool, you know, if and when we do finish a, like, spec script for episode one, it would be cool to, like, send it off to some studios just to see if we get a response back. We'll probably never get picked oh, up, but how cool would oh, that be? Oh, hell yeah. If we, if we actually write this thing, oh, hell yeah. We're shopping it around. Yeah. <laughs> so here's some potential last names that I... I tossed to you guys um, the other day. There's Guster, Endicott, Henderson, Listenby, Noseworthy, Cooperbag, Pinkerton, Ox Handler, Penny Whistle. Pen- yeah, there's Penny Whistle in there. Quakenbush, <laughs> Pipelo, Snuggleshine, Moonshine, Sack Rider. <laughs> <laughs> Ox handler. Oh, Clutterbuck. Sp- speaking of a new hope, we got uh Porkins in there. We've got a Porkins. I don't I don't think Colin Porkins would go very That's well. It's my new favorite though. Uh Splurn. Colin Colin Endicott. I kind of like that. Colin Butterbaugh. Colin Outerbridge. Colin Rubbins as in he rubs the, rubs the meat. Oh. Oh, is that a little too on the nose, though? Oh. Well, I mean, it gives it gives uh, Chris Pratt's character an excuse to make fun of him over that. Uh, that's true. That's true. Uh, my my suggestion was Colin Winsale because um, I don't know if he has like a, a mental breakdown or something, then Nate could just look at him and go, "Did you just break Winsale?" <laughs> And see, guys, this is this is what we're talking about here. Like, you know, David Tennant's character, Colin, he's kind of a bit more posh. He's kind of a bit more upper scale, I guess, kind of background. Whereas Rather upper crusty. Yeah, yeah. He's a bit uppity, at least at first. Mm. And Chris Pratt is just Chris Pratt. Like, he's, he's, he's just... <laughs> <laughs> think, think Andy Dwyer, but a chef. <laughs> exactly. And they're stuck in a food truck together, and they'll annoy the hell out of each other. 
Yep. It's it's basically like the odd couple on wheels. Exactly. But that, that's kind of that's kind of where we're going with this, at least in the very early developmental stages. So we've got Nate Hackett and we've got Colin something or other, and it's gonna be set on a food truck that's barbecue themed. That's about all we've got. <laughs> Honestly, well, you got to help us <laughs> along, and you got to keep us hanging. You got to, you know, let us know. We'll we'll give frequent updates in the future of barbecue watches to see where we're at. Yeah, and in my idea, I don't know what you guys think about this, but once we get a script done, you know, and say it's for, I, I don't know what we're thinking—a twenty-two minute episode, or are we going longer? Is this going to be a forty-five minute episode? Yeah, probably, probably, probably the probably the twenty-two to twenty-four, like a standard half-hour. Okay. Well, it would be cool two you know if we get if we do do 20 22 minutes do like if we do do okay okay um if we do like <laughs> five to six minute chunks over the course of a month and like read a quarter of the script in each barbecue watch segment or something like that or maybe even do it all in one go who knows but uh just like read it out loud it's kind of like a barbecue watch theater be nice to have I some mean, goals we've, we've done shakespearean star wars theater on the show before and i think it would give us some good accountability to our listeners as well just be like hey this is what we're doing be sure to to keep us accountable to this and be like hey when's the next five or six minutes coming up so uh if that's something that you're interested in or if there's anything else barbecue related or just ipc related that you're interested in go find us on social media facebook twitter and instagram at ipc podcast you can also find most recent episodes on apple Podcasts, google play Castbox. Uh, StarWarsUnderworld.com and our hosting site IPCPodcast.Podbean.com Guys, I'm pretty well spent. I know we've only been doing this show for about an hour and a half, but like you said, we started kind of late, and I know that it's super late out on the East Coast, so um, why don't we just tell the folks at home where they can find us on social media, and we'll call it a night. Yeah, um, you can find me at Ben Hart with no E on the social media, such as Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and uh, you can find pretty much everything I do over on the at StarWarsUnderworld.com site. And you can find me on Twitter at Jake Damon or on Instagram at Jake W. Damon. Uh, and my brother and I just started a podcast called Ben 10 Again, where we go through each and every episode of one of our childhood favorite shows, Ben 10. And it's currently available on Anchor and Spotify. And they're still working at getting the uh, podcast distributed to other places like Apple Podcasts and Google Play and all, all those other cool places. Um, but for now, Spotify and uh, Anchor, and we just uploaded episode three yesterday. Nice. Very nice. Well, I've got a, uh, a new sound mixer that I'm trying to figure out how to make the damn thing work. And as soon as I do that, I'll have a new headset that I'll be doing on, uh, uh, on this show with, and then I'll be utilizing that equipment for my local high school football radio broadcasts that are starting in a few weeks. If you want to keep up with local high school football and some of my other broadcasting endeavors, then go find me at Zach the Voice on Twitter, Z A C H the Voice, and then uh, pretty much everything else—Twitter, Instagram, that kind of stuff—you can find my personal uh, goings on, my personal shenanigans at Zach Z A C underscore D F W. But I do believe that that's going to do it. 
for this iteration of the IPC Podcast. Season 2, Episode 1 is now officially in the books. For Jake Damon and Ben Hart, I'm Zach Arnold. Thank you for tuning in. We hope that you'll tune in next week. But until that time comes around, we just want to leave you with this final thought. Disobedience is a demand for change. And we demand that you tune in next week to IPC and don't disobey us. But until then, good night, everyone. I have been waiting for you, Obi-Wan. We meet again at last. The circle is now complete. When I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. Only a master of evil, does.